program. Uh, someone asked a really good question. I got a, an email. Uh, someone asked the question, how do you know if you're called to the ministry? And uh, how do you uh, try to discern that? And um, I thought that's a really good question. And that's something I've thought about a lot, you know, being in ministry. I remember uh, having to wrestle with that. And before I, I get into um, what I think is the biblical uh, approach to answering that question, I want to share a, a story about a, a, an old man uh, that my wife and I met um, very shortly after we got married, just a few months after we got married. And we lived up in Akron, Ohio, and a real nice older fella. He was in his upper 80s when we met him, and he went on to glory uh, not too long ago. Uh, hey there, there's one of my kids. Howdy, howdy. Hi, that's Lily. And uh, this fellow used to have my wife and I over for dinner, and he'd make us dinner, and uh, we would just sit and visit with him. And his, um, he was a widower. His wife had died of cancer um, years before that. And he was just really friendly and really sweet guy. He was a, a, a Christian man. He was encouraging to us. And he um, told me, because um, I talked to him about a call to the ministry, and I said, you know, how do you... How do you know if you're if you're called to the ministry? And he made a statement that I will never forget, and it was greatly used of God because I, I think I've seen this before. He said, Patrick, you need to learn to discern the difference between an itch and a calling. And immediately I was like, an, an itch and a calling to preach. Okay. I was like, Oh, you have my attention. So what what do you what do you mean by that? Um, he says, Some men have an itch. And what I mean by that is they really think that the whole world needs to just sit still and listen to them talk. And they really think that they're supposed to be up in front of everybody talking and they just love to hear themselves talk. And they are convinced that uh, they're God's gift to the world and to the church and so on and so forth. That's not a call to the ministry. And he didn't have a whole lot positively to say about what constitutes a call, but I, I really reflected on that a lot. And some men feel, feel an itch uh, to preach, uh, and it's not a calling. And I think for some guys, uh, the ministry can kind of be a, a bit of an idol, um, where they are just convinced that they, if they're not ever a pastor, that they, they just have missed their, their purpose in life. That's not necessarily the case. So um, what is the difference between an itch to preach and an itch to you know, be up front and, and talk and a calling? Well, the primary difference is this. If you're really called to the ministry, your local church where you are a fixture, a member, you attend all of its worship services. You are part of the life of that congregation. You go to stuff. Uh, you go to its Bible studies. You go to its prayer meetings. Um, you know your elders. Uh, you're happy to get pastoral care and uh, counsel from your elders. And you know who your deacons are. And you keep track of prayer requests. The people in that local fellowship where you are a member, they will help you confirm that call. And I just would, would just kind of share my own story with you. When I was young, I never thought that I would, um, <laughs> that I would want to um, uh, get up in front of people and talk. I mean, the, the very thought of doing that just made me sick. In fact, for the first several years that I was preaching, uh, I would feel sick every, every Sunday. Every Sunday. I just, I just can't do this. I just don't feel comfortable. And I've always been encouraged 
that people have told me, well, that doesn't come across at all because you really seem to be comfortable and you seem fine. I'm like, well, that's encouraging because I have felt just incredible anxiety about preaching um, for the first few years I was I was doing it. And <clears throat> that was uh, that was something I just I just did not think I could ever do. I just didn't think I could ever actually be up in front of people. Now, when I was in college and uh, the Lord graciously, mercifully, wonderfully uh, saved me and really changed my heart and uh, showed me here's here's all this sin um, that is just destroying you and you need to, to be at war with it. And I remember when that started, when I was 18 years old, and I could see, okay, there's these battlefronts, there's these lines of, of, of battle, and I've got to run to the battle here and I've got to fight and I need to pursue the Lord and I need to get involved in church. I need to go to Bible studies. And uh, that's what I did. That's what I really devoted myself to doing was uh, plugging into a local church up there. And that's where I met my wife. Uh, I've been, we've coming up on 26 years of being married. And uh, that church was a, was a big deal to me. And I participated in everything. I, I went to its services. There was a Tuesday night uh, Bible study that met year round. It was a men's fellowship group. We would get there about five guys would be done with class or done with working, drop a couple of bucks in the offering plate. We would all eat dinner together and then do Bible study. And there were 30, 40, sometimes 50 guys that would come to that Bible study. And those men were my brothers. I mean, that, that Tuesday night Bible study, that was a big deal. I never missed it. Never, never, ever missed it. Uh, in fact, if there were group projects or anything I was doing as far as my undergraduate degree, I always made sure that um, I didn't agree to meet when, when I was when I needed to be a Bible study. I would I would always make sure that I was there for that. And it was the people at that church who um, encouraged me to think about ministry uh, because I was asked to teach the uh, college age Sunday school class. And I I didn't feel qualified to do that, uh, but I I did it, and that that forced me to to work hard and to like learn how to teach better and to understand the word of God better. And I started reading more books and reading the Bible more and people started encouraging me. You should think about ministry. You should think about, um, about pursuing the pastorate. And I, when people started telling me that I said, there's no way I'm doing that. Absolutely not. <laughs> there's no way I'm doing that. And in fact, I've, I've told the story when I was a little kid, um, uh, the church I grew up in, you know, we never missed it. We never missed church ever. I mean, I could be bleeding out of my eyeballs and my father would be like, ah, oh, you're fine. Get, get up and get dressed. And we never missed church. And every Sunday in my memory, uh, going to that church when I was little, uh, I would shake my pastor's hand and on my way to the car in the parking lot, I would pray. And I don't think I was a believer then. I don't think I was born again at the time, but I prayed every Sunday, every Sunday, Lord, please don't ever ask me to bore people to death like that poor guy does. I would shake his hand and then I would pray, Lord, please don't ever ask me to do what that guy does. <laughs> and I, I did. Prayed that all the time. I mean, every Sunday I was praying. <laughs> praying I would never, ever do what that guy does and bore people to death. Uh, lo and behold, um, it's not a good idea to tell God no or tell God what, what you don't want to do. Um, he, he often has ways of, of uh, changing your mind, shall we say. Uh, but it was the people in my local church, the people in the church, um, they were the ones that really confirmed that sense of calling. Because as I started teaching more and started doing that more, I, I started to see, you know, I really enjoy this. I really, I really love studying and I love reading and I, I love um, answering people's questions. And I could see uh, more and more people would come to me with questions. Uh, when I was a, by the time I was a junior in college, and people would call me, people would would call my my uh, dorm room 
uh, with Bible questions. And I, I always felt, I really felt inadequate to answer those questions. And people, I'm like, and I would say, you should call this guy or that, that guy. I think they know more about the Bible than I do. This, these people know more than I do. But I could see, you know, people do seem to, they seem to look at me as being kind of a leader. And it was something I didn't want. It was kind of like uh, uh, Aragorn in The Lord of the Rings. It's like, you know, you, you're you're supposed to do this, but you really don't feel like you're qualified to do it. There's a real hesitancy. That's the way I was. Now, not everyone's going to be that way. I think there are some men who th- their sense of inward calling is much stronger. But whether whether you feel really, really like this is what you're supposed to do, or if you feel a, a lot more hesitant the way I was, the people in your church will confirm it to you. So that's the main thing. Anytime guys ask me this question, how did you know you were called to the ministry? I said, well, I had a, a sense of inward calling. The sense of inward calling is I do enjoy um, witnessing to people. I enjoy uh, sharing the gospel. I love to talk about the Bible. I love theology. I love the church, the churches I've been part of. I've always tried to be there for everything and be a part of everything. And, you know, eventually someone nominated me uh, at the church that I was a part of in Ohio. Um, they uh, nominated me to be a deacon um, years ago. This is back in like 2001 or two, I think it was, 2002 maybe. And um, at that point, I had been teaching an adult Sunday school class uh, for probably over a year at that point. In the session, uh, when they brought me in to see if, they, if I would run for deacon, I said, sure, I'll run for deacon. Uh, but then they said, well, we think you probably would <clears throat> do better, um, you would do better as an elder. And at the time I was, I was, uh, 27 and I said, well, um, if you want me to do that, I, I will, I will, I will run for elder. Um, I feel a little bit young and, uh, I, uh, I'm not sure that that's the best idea, but any, anyway, I, to make a long story short, I was, I was elected, uh, to be an elder and became, became an elder. Now that was huge to me. That was a big deal to me. The fact that someone, I still don't know to this day who it was, who nominated me to be a deacon. And then the session encouraged me to run for elder. So my fellow churchmen, my fellow elders and fellow folks there, they thought that I should do this. That was huge. Like, I don't don't think I would be in pastoral ministry if it weren't for that. I felt a sense of inward calling, but I, I could, from reading scripture and looking at the word of God, the main testing ground for whether or not you are called to the ministry is going to be your local church. Those people will either confirm or disconfirm uh, your sense of calling. Now, what I what I think is a, often a problem is that young guys sometimes will have what my my elderly friend there in Ohio, up in Akron called an itch to preach, and they think it's a calling, and and they and they're not faithful. In their local churches, and they and they don't attend stuff faithfully. You know, they if the church has an evening service, they don't go to it. The church has a prayer meeting, they don't go to it. There's a Wednesday night Bible study, they don't go to it. That's not a good sign. That's not a good sign. And you know, guys that that don't feel a sense of I need to be here, that these are my people, this is where I'm gonna uh, put down my roots. I, I want to have relationships with folks here. Um, that is a good a good scene. Or, or, or that is a good a good a sign a sign a good sign that you are called to the ministry. Sorry, I'm trying to read what people are posting over here. <laughs> trying to stay focused, and you guys are distracting me. I'll read all this stuff over here in just a minute. Um, but that's a good sign that you're called. You love the church and you love those people, and they think you should consider being a pastor. So, for me, that was a big deal. 
Um, you need to have certain gifts. There needs to be a certain uh, ability to communicate um, the word of God so that people understand it. And uh, you need to be someone that, not, not just that you understand things really well, because often there are people who have a very good understanding of the Christian faith, but they can't explain it to someone else. Now, I, I actually discovered that kind of thing when I was in the corporate world, when I was a computer programmer. I worked with uh, some people, uh, men and women, who were absolutely brilliant programmers. You know, you could show them stuff, you could describe a problem, and they could like run through the code in their mind, and they would tell you what what was wrong and uh, and they, where to go look and fix the problem, and they would be right. But if you actually got them to try to explain to you or to someone the way that a whole system works or whatever, or the way the computers do their the, their thing, it was like someone talking Chinese. You know, they they understood it, they they, they understood it, but um, they. Um, couldn't explain it to someone else to save uh, their life. Am I am I cutting out? Oh man! Aren't they? They would like the pistol. Okay, let me see what people are saying over here. Okay, there's some people. Yes, you are. Yeah, I'm cutting out. I can't hear anything you're saying. I think I need to upgrade my computer, perhaps. Okay. That's a shame. Oh, it's good now? Okay. Let's see what people are saying here. Uh, so my one of my kids here <laughs> says, you will have to grow hair before you can be Aragorn. Thanks, sweetheart. Uh, Mason, oh, been watching your stuff on the Federal Vision and Doug Wilson. Thanks for those vids because I've been watching stuff with Doug lately before I've seen your vids on him. Have your views changed at all in three years? No. Um, a lot of his recent stuff I've seen seems pretty good, but your videos with those audio clips aren't the type of things they would likely post to the public. Oh, um, you know, I, I, I mean, I don't think, I don't think Doug Wilson's changed anything. I mean, you know, if, if the, um, if the study committee reports of seven denominations has no effect on him and he can smugly, mockingly reject what all the, like, the, the best scholars, exegetes, and churchmen in seven NAPARC denominations, you know, it, 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 he's not going to be correctable. <laughs> his whole his whole notion of living faith, that, you know, living faith is, is obedient, and faith in Jesus Christ is obedience. Not, not that it's accompanied by obedience. Not that it's accompanied by good works, but that faith is good works. That faith is obedience. Those are just, uh, just plain old heresy. But plain and simple. Faith is not good works. Uh, faith is the opposite of good works. Faith is resting on Christ alone. That's what faith in Christ is. Okay. Uh, mm. It's good now? Okay, well, that's good. The video's good, but the sound isn't working? Okay, it's good now. All right. I need to upgrade my computer. Uh, thankfully, uh, one of my brothers, um, I think, is going to get me a new camera. He just sent me a link to some and is uh, encouraging me to buy one. But anyway. Okay. Uh, so, being called to the ministry... Um, but then you do need to go uh, get some kind of instruction and go get some education. Um, if you do go to a seminary, uh, you need to make sure that you remain active in a local church. And uh, I, I think that um, a lot of the seminarians aren't active in, in church, are not very active in their churches. That, that's, a, that's not a good sign. If you're, if you're not a fixture at the stuff your church does, like its prayer meetings and its worship services, its Bible studies, 
I you're probably not uh you're probably not called to the ministry then. I mean, if you're going to be called to the ministry, you need to have a love for the for the church. You you love to be by the people of God. That means you're you don't have a bunch of hobbies that make it so you can't attend stuff at church. Church is the priority and being with God's people is the priority and studying the word of God is the, is the priority. So that's a, a, real, a real important part of, of calling to the ministry is um, being a fixture at your church and, and going to stuff at your church. <clears throat> one thing they told us when I got to seminary, when that one year I was on campus in Jackson, Mississippi, at a convocation, they told us that there's a big problem. There's a big problem um, in the seminary. They, they noticed a lot of the divinity students, a lot of the men studying for pastoral ministry, don't attend chapel. And it wasn't a requirement. And he said, and it's not because they're working. It's not because they're busy or have other things. They just don't come. They just don't come. And they, they said they've also, they'd also noticed a lot of men that are studying for the ministry who are going to local churches, they're not very active in those churches. And for my part, that's a, that's a sure sign that you don't have a call. You have an itch. You have an itch to preach. An itch to be up front and be listened to and that kind of thing, rather than a real call from God to, to teach. Okay, um, can you talk about the gift of teaching? Yeah, that's another thing. Um, that's a gift that y- you may have a sense that you have that gift, but other people will be the ones that confirm whether or not you really have it. So if someone is just confusing and they're not very good at explaining things, they may think they have the gift of teaching, but it's going to be the sheep of Christ who will confirm or disconfirm your gift of teaching if you you think you have that. One thing that we do here at our church, one of the reasons I'm hoping eventually we can do this expansion project to make the church bigger is so we'll have more Sunday school classroom space. Because there's, we have one adult Sunday school class that meets in the sanctuary, and I think we could, we could have two or three. And it would be great because Sunday school classes are a great testing ground. And we talk about this as a session of elders all the time. Who are the men that we need to approach in church and say, we'd like to give you a couple of opportunities to teach the adult Sunday school class um, because we think, you know, you're knowledgeable and we want, we want to see if you have these gifts. And that's part, that's part of our job. Um, in Ephesians chapter 4, the, um, the pastors and teachers and the, the men that are called to, to lead the church, it's their duty to equip the saints for the work of, of service. Uh, to, for the work of ministry in the church. And part of that is uncovering what their gifts are. So sometimes you're going to have young people at your church that are, are very talented and very gifted, but they've, they've just never really been given an opportunity to share that gift. And so um, we're always looking for who, who else could we, could we tap to try to, uh, to give them an opportunity to teach and give them an opportunity to be heard. And, and sometimes that goes well, sometimes it doesn't. Or sometimes it's, it'll start out rocky and bumpy, and guys will, will listen to themselves, and, and they'll improve and get better. And that's what I encourage. There's two guys studying for the ministry here. I tell them, you know, as painful as it is, we do video record the, the services, and they, they are being posted on um, YouTube now. Watch yourself preach. <laughs> listen to your own sermons. And think about ways to improve. Now, I, I used to listen to myself every like. Uh, on the the Monday after after uh, worship, I would always pull up my own sermons on sermon audio and listen to myself preach, and I would critique myself and say, "Okay, that part sounded good, and I think you might have trailed off, or this didn't this didn't come across as clearly." I ha- it helped me get rid of bad habits um, like mannerisms and pauses and voice inflection that that was not helpful. And I actually 
I'm in the habit now of actually writing all my sermon manuscripts, um, the, the ways I need to speak at different parts of, of my, my sermons. And so, so it's not like you either have the gift or you don't, um, and it's just God-given and that's all there is to it. Well, well, that's, there's a sense in which that's true, but you also have to work on it. You, you may have the, the rudimentary beginnings of, of a teaching gift, and it needs to be developed, and it could be nurtured and, and grow into something really useful for the church. Now, once in a generation, you'll probably get a Charles Spurgeon, you know, a guy that if you sit him in a room for 45 minutes and just let him think, he'll come up with the greatest sermon you've ever heard preached um, <laughs> if you give him another 45 minutes in your pulpit. But the rest of us that are, you know, that are normal uh, we have to work really hard, and we have to study hard, and we got to read constantly, and we got to listen to ourselves and critique ourselves, and we need to get feedback from people that we trust and and get that help in order to hone in our skills and to develop that that calling. Okay, all righty. Let's see. Thank you, Pastor, for your labor and doctrine. Uh, nothing but edified by your videos. Thank you very much, sir. I appreciate that. Um, I was personally thinking about Westminster over here in PA, but I haven't decided yet. With my job hours, I can't do much with my church other than street evangelism with my with my church. Yeah, that's that's often an issue is is work. Uh, I was just recently talking to a fellow here at church who is really really trying to uh, get his work schedule so that he can uh, have Sundays off. But so many people have to work on Sundays. Uh, in fact, one of the reasons we started doing uh, communion twice a month um, the the morning service on the first Sunday of the month, and then on the third Sunday night, we do a communion there, is that there are some people whose uh, jobs make it, they can't come to church on Sunday mornings, or at least for a long season, they can't come on Sunday mornings. So I thought, we've got to make it so they can take communion. I mean, it's not healthy for a Christian to never be able to take communion. Uh, so yeah, th there's very little respect for the Sabbath day, and I, and I realize that, that that is a real problem for people that want to go to church and really want to participate in the life of their church. So, um, I feel for you. I really, I really do. Okay. Um, how do I look for a biblical local church? Should I go to different churches and sit under them and try to discern if, if uh, they are biblical or would God lead someone, um, who would recommend one? Yeah. You, you gotta be, you gotta be willing to commute, <laughs> um, because the, the landscape today is, is kind of rough, but yeah, you got to look at churches one at a time. I wouldn't just recommend, you know, one denomination. You got to, who, who knows what you'll get, you know, in churches today. I mean, you, you can go, you might find a, a really, really solid Southern Baptist church. I know there's tons of those in the United States. Um, if you get a, a pastor who really loves the word of God and he understands and, and preaches the true gospel and repentance and he, he gets all that, you know, you could go there. But you're going to have to... Um, with a, with discernment, um, go to churches and, and just be straightforward, be transparent with people, tell them, you know, I'm, I'm really looking for a church here. Here are the things I think are the most important. And what's your view of worship? Do you have a confession of faith, a doctrinal statement? Do you actually believe it and practice it? That kind of thing. Um, I've actually done a, ser a sermon that a number of people have told me was helpful on the marks of a Christian church. And in that sermon, what I, what I do is I go through biblically, the apostolic, the, the um, early church marks, the four, the one holy Catholic apostolic, one holy universal apostolic, and then the three additional marks uh, that the Reformation added, the right preaching of the word of God, the right administration of the sacraments, and church discipline. Those seven things are what you're looking for um, in the church. Uh, so you can, you can uh, look for that in, on our sermon audio feed. Okay. Um, I don't work Sundays. Is it? Okay. Most churches nowadays have core values on a website. Yeah, that's true. You can, you can tell a lot as long as websites are, are kept up to date and, and they, um, have been put together, 
um, by the people that are really trying to uh, to uh, communicate what they're where they're really coming from. Okay, I know churches that have the core values right, and Sunday service doesn't feed the sheep and make Christ look greater. Yeah, it's 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 just gonna it's gonna depend on uh, who the who the leaders are in those local churches and what they're like and what their priorities are, which. A lot of times you can't tell unless you go for, you know, a few months and just, you know, week in, week out, see what they're, what they're about and where they're coming from. Maybe you can look at the ministries in the church online or call the churches. Yeah, you can, you can always call folks, um, but there really is no substitute for just visiting and just going. But I just, I encourage people, you know, we live in odd times and the, the need for commitment in the local church is greater than it's ever been. Uh, in the history of this country, those that are true Christians need to be fixtures at their church. Like when the church is doing stuff, they're going to be there. If, unless they're providentially hindered, they're, they're going to be there to pray, to worship, to be fed from God's word. Uh, because the, the darkness of the days we live in is, is getting thicker and thicker. And the, the need for lighthouses and beacons of truth um, uh, is, is greater than it's, pardon me, than it's ever been in the history of our country here. So that's what I would have to say about a call to the ministry. Um, uh, let me just uh, read from a passage of scripture here uh, from Ephesians chapter 4, just to kind of give uh, a biblical summation of what um, ministry is all about. Let's see. Yeah, when Jesus ascended back to heavenly glory, this is the thing that's so amazing and it's uh, humbling to think about. Uh, Ephesians 4.11, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Now, I would, I would maintain the apostles and prophets that those offices have ceased because there, there's no need for them. But we do need evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Uh, we'll always need those until the Great Commission is done. And the Great Commission is not going to be done uh, until Christ comes back and every last uh, sheep of Christ has been effectually called and brought to the Lord. And he himself gave some to be these things. So the pastors and teachers and evangelists. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Okay, so that's what the the ministers in the church, the, the, the pastors and elders of the church, that's what they do. They equip the saints for the work of ministry. And that means they primarily labor in the word of God and, and doctrine and prayer. The ministry of the word and prayer. Think about the reason that the diaconate was formed in Acts chapter 6. They said, it is not good for us to neglect the word of God to serve tables. So the diaconate was created to free up the elders to pursue the ministry of the word and prayer. That means that, you know, you see see all this behind me here, my books and everything. What I do is I study and study and study and read and, and write and preach and teach and meet with people and counsel and, and meet with guys and disciple. And that that's my primary calling. And I pray and I pray for the people of this church. Uh, to, the, to labor in the word and prayer is the primary duty of uh, a calling to the ministry. That's what you're giving yourself to those duties, the ministry of the word and prayer. And that is a colossal tax, task um, to equip people for the works of, of service and ministry. And here's the goal, Ephesians 4.14. Here's the goal of all ministry, that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. 
So shepherds in the church, you know, the, there will be people at times that they get sick of you calling out this and calling out that and pointing out that this is wrong and that that is wrong. But there's there's a lot of false doctrine and a lot of tricky men out there and a lot of people who have graduate degrees in cunning craftiness and deceitful plotting. If you're not ready to enter into the lists and go to battle, please don't don't think you're called to the ministry. I was criticized once by a, an old friend. Man, you're always in you're always in polemical mode, always ready to try to defend this and to defend that. I'm like, if you're not ready to do that, then you shouldn't be in the ministry. You think about what what a minister is, what a shepherd of the church does. Think of Acts twenty verse twenty eight: Shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Shepherds were not guys that just took naps out in the fields. Um, watching the sheep by night. You know, we have kind of this sentimental, uh, syrupy view of shepherds. Shepherds were bad dudes, okay? These guys would, would go after some of the most ferocious wild animals to try to drive them away from the sheep. I mean, a bear came up on David. What did David do? He killed it with his bare hands. A bear and a lion. <laughs> okay, you can't be... You can't be a, a, a sissy or soft and do that. You got to be ready to, to say, okay, this is wrong and we're going to go after this. And I, I've been criticized many times, many times. You know, you just, you, you're criticized this and criticized that. You don't like this and don't like that and everything else. I'm like, that's what a shepherd's supposed to do. Believe me, I'd much rather just positively teach what the scriptures say. I'd much rather go into the word of God and and exposit the, the text of scripture and preach and teach it. But with all of the, especially with the internet today, with all the, the false doctrine that's just swirling everywhere, you've got to do that. You've got to be on the lookout for the trickery of men. The trickery of men. Kubea is the uh, term that's used there. Uh, dice playing, deception of men. Because dice players sometimes cheated and defrauded their fellow players so really so the people that we pastor and shepherd there's going to be lots of people that are trying to cheat and defraud them yes constantly and if you're not ready to go to battle to protect them from those tricky men then don't go into the ministry what about this the the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting there are people that scheme and plot to try to get disciples and to lure them away from the truth truth yes and they never go away. And that's why John Calvin in his uh, commentary, I think it's 2 Timothy 2.13, um, soul-stirring stuff where he says evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Calvin says, he put this in for emphasis, that those who engage in the task of ministry would know that they must be prepared to spend the balance of their life in uninterrupted warfare. Now, is that kind of draining and... Weary summoner, of course it is. There's a lot of tricky men. There's a lot of cunning craftiness. There's a lot of evil men and imposters and ministers of Satan running all over the place today. 2 Corinthians 11 talks about them. You know, Satan's ministers disguise themselves as angels of light. Well, who, who's supposed to identify them and protect the sheep from them? We are. And here's another thing. If you feel called to the ministry, snap back to attention, everybody. Listen, listen. <clears throat> you don't need a reformed celebrity to condemn heresy for you to condemn it. If you have the Bible and you know the gospel, you can identify false doctrine yourself. 
You don't have to wait for someone else to do it, someone who's more quote-unquote high profile or, or whatever. You don't need that. In fact, you're not allowed to do that. You hear something you know is false, you got to attack it now. You've got to say, this is dangerous, stay away from this, watch out for this. Okay, um, yeah, and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. The goal was that people would not be children anymore. That they wouldn't be tossed to and fro by the winds of doctrine, but rather that they would be anchored and immovable from the truth. Okay, let's see. Um, maybe you can look at me. Okay, did it? Hey, Pastor, you said that you would reach out to me by email last week, and I know you're busy. Oh, well, you're supposed to email me. I don't know what your email is, dude. <laughs> I t- my, my email address is on the, I believe it's on the, the, under the about tab in the YouTube channel. So just look in there and send me an email. We recently decided to have communion every week and it's been such a blessing. The church I grew up in only had it once a month and didn't seem to have a high view of celebrating communion together. Yeah, I'm in favor of, of more frequent communion. I, I, I really am. And uh, may, we may talk about that again sometime. Um, talk about that again sometime, sometime soon. But it's, it's been a huge blessing to do it twice a month. It really has. It's such a wonderful um, thing. It's such a strong connection to the Lord. Because the only reason we do it is because he specific, while he was here, he told us to do this. And so to me, that's always a soul-stirring thing. Like we break bread and drink wine and we take the communion elements because Jesus told us to. Like when he was still here before he ascended back to heaven, he commanded it. Okay, someone else said here, okay, amen, this is why I was drawn to polemics. The enemy is a lion seeking to devour, but we as the church put on the former of God. That's right. And it's the task of those called to the ministry to equip others to, to do that. Uh, not only to protect them, but also to equip them to protect others too. Okay, especially heads of households. You know, fathers uh, are the gatekeepers there in their home. They need to protect their families from false teaching and, and things like that. Okay, uh, well, that's uh, about all I've got today. I'm, I've got a ton of, of work I've got to try to get done by the end of today and tomorrow. But uh, love you all. It's always a, a blessing uh, to do these programs. And um, um, thank you all for watching or for listening. Pastor Patrick Hines of Bridwell Heights Presbyterian Church in Kingsport, Tennessee. You can visit us on the web at bridwellheightschurch.com where all the sermons and podcasts are put into our sermon audio feed, which is accessible in iTunes as well as the podcast app. You are welcome to join us any Sunday morning for Sunday school for all ages at 10 a.m. and then worship for everyone at 11 a.m. If you ever have any questions about the Christian faith or the Bible, you can email me at pastor at bridwellheightschurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.